I'd like to welcome everyone to today's show of truth. Today's episode, our guest, we have Kayla Davis. She's an Alt-Tac assistant head dispatch. We also have you know, our other guest, John Hall, 12-year law enforcement. Kayla's going to discuss with us today the different roles that with dispatch has to deal with and the traumas that actually come with fulfilling those roles. And then John's going to also share with us some specific calls that, you know, he's responded to and the effects of those as well, too. So no further ado, Kayla, welcome. John, welcome. Sure. Um, and then, and then so, so Kayla real quick. So, or John, do you want to, do you want to say something? Yeah, uh, you know, I told you about, you know, being first time over here, being nervous, and the story I had to tell. Little short story. Um, bear in mind, this is the person that's that's her support system. Had <laughs> food, some chicken and uh, mashed potatoes, trying to eat it on the way home, and I split the biscuit in half. Okay, a biscuit in half is white, right? I look over, I'm like, oh, I'm going to grab my biscuit and eat it. Now, it's mashed potatoes I grabbed a handful of. <laughs> this is her support system. You see what I have to deal with? <laughs> That's awesome. So, be confident. <laughs> and then, so... <laughs> That's all. Now, you know, you know, you know what's funny about that though, because like John, you and I have spoke about this before too. I mean, especially in these careers, you know, I, I don't care which one of these someone is serving in. If if we can't find some kind of humor or lighten the traumas that we see every day, I mean, in not not every day are we going to experience the traumas in the field, but I mean, a traffic, a, a simple traffic stop can result and heighten into something that you know causes trauma whether it be for the subject yourself kayla the dispatch and things like that so kayla with if you want to go into early on so and, and kind of give us the the beginnings you know because i know that you know your your family and everything else really because it kind of wasn't for you joining actually becoming in dispatch and things like that. And I know that the childhood that you experienced growing up was kind of not the easy road as so many have had. Yeah. Well, when I first started, I was already a part of the, the fire department, the volunteer fire department. And well, speak, I don't want to, I don't want to cut you off, but That's right. no, I'm, I apologize because this is important as well too, because and I'm sorry that I sequenced this wrong. So go into how, when you first joined for like the volunteer fire department, how many, how much restriction there was about females in general being a part of that department and you still, you know, having that passion and determination became that volunteer firefighter so growing up my dad my uncle my cousins they were all a part of the the fire department and you can join at 16 like the minute you get your driver's license you you can join so at 16 i tried to join um at the time we had a different chief and he was very much against it didn't want females on the fire department, didn't believe they could handle the physical aspect of it. 
And later on, like I pretty much gave up after that. I decided it was like, well, they don't want me, you know, who am I to try to force my way in it? When I was 17, which was, I was a senior in high school. Um, another firefighter's daughter decided she wanted to join and they allowed her to. So, <laughs> so after that, I, my dad came home. I just got home from school. He came home. He slammed the application down and was like, fill it out. You're joining, you know, you want to do this, you're going to do it. So that's pretty much how I joined. I filled out the application. I took it up there and I was a little smug. I'm not going to lie. I had a little bit of an attitude <laughs> and I gave it to him. was like, you know, when's the next meeting? So they put you in a trial period. You have, you have a probation. It's a 90 day probation where they see how you do. You show up to meetings on time. You run calls. You're given a pager. So instead of a radio to where you can talk to other people, you're given a pager so you can hear the calls. And if you answer, you just go as training. You're not going to be as hands-on as the others who have more experience. So I did that. And I ran calls while in high school. Like I ran a call two o'clock in the morning before school because there was a car accident out in front of our local bank. I lived not even two minutes away. I was the first one on scene. I was already CPR certified and I was the only one that showed up. How, so, long, were you, how long were you CPR certified prior to, or is that something that you took up while you were actually I was I was certified for a year before I ran that call and had to actually perform CPR for the first time. Live CPR? Mm-hmm. And then so speaking of that, I don't want to kind of I'm gonna talk about like kind of early traumas. I mean so performing CPR in itself, what runs through your mind performing CPR? Uh, the first time I did it, it was just panic. A lot of panic. Like, I can't stop. This dude's not going to make it if I stop. And I was with two other medics. And he had one of the medics that already started. So I switched out with him. And the entire time, I'm just counting. Mind blank, just counting, trying to get some 32. And then we switched out again. I helped them load him into the ambulance to where they had to go to the landing zone because life force had been called. He wasn't going to make it to the ambulance ride to the hospital. They had to call life force. So it was, it felt like the longest part, like the longest I've ever been on a call. But when in reality, it was maybe 20 minutes. Feels like a lifetime. Yeah. What what makes it worse on that is a lot of times, obviously, somebody had to call on that. That the whole time you're doing CPR is the family's watching you, which is a whole added pressure. Yeah, that, that's and that's one that's kind of out of sight, out of mind to a lot of individuals, as far as like how much pressure that does place on. You know, you you know whether it be law enforcement, whether it be the dispatch, whether it be the EMT, fire anybody. You know, it's, you know, you and I, John, have spoken about like how the civilian sector can affect every call. Like you were talking about that one where you're responding 
to, you know, that accident and so many people were around and things like that. You couldn't even get to the individual to even provide the assistance and things like that, too. And it's a lot of pressure. I've, I've only had to do CPR uh, one or two times. And the first one I ever did, the guy had called his family, said he needed a ambulance. That was it. Um, when I got on scene, I was about to actually kick the door in when they the family showed up and he was unresponsive. So I discovered him unresponsive at the same time they did. So their emotions jumped up right there with me. You know, rather than being, oh, he needs help, hurry up. You know, it's just, oh, shit, you know, something's wrong with him, help him. So we're all kind of heightened at the same time, which really makes it even even harder because now their emotions have jumped up as high as they can. Um, and I want to add to that. Uh, the, the guy that I was doing CPR on, he ended up uh, – not making it. I'm pretty sure he had had a, a massive heart attack. And I wasn't okay with that, but it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. I'm not going to think about that right now. And <coughs> ended up being a prior law enforcement in uh, Tennessee, right next to where we were. And his daughter uh, you know, said, I want to come down and talk to you at the police department. I'm like, okay. She came down, talked to me, thanked me for, for what I had done and tried, and she presented me with his actual officer uh, mail pen from his police department that he had worked in, and that was that was kind of hard to hold some emotion back when you know that all comes together, and she, you really realize how much somebody does appreciate what you did, and just you know the fact that she presented me with that, that she thought enough about it, was really that was really something to remember. Is that a dispatch call coming in? No. <laughs> My phone's acting up. I lost I lost your sound feed, John. You hear me now? I can hear you now, yes, sir. That part. It's sort of going in and out for me, like the the sound. What was the last part you caught? I'm sure there are. Proud of that. I think it's more or less internet making you go in and out. Yeah. No, we, were, we were hearing about like one of the things that, you know, had the effect of and it just stopped. I know I've had problems before with this, but yeah, it's just my phone, my internet. So that's probably, probably all it is, but we'll see how that goes. That it may, it may, it may be that I'm finally, uh, because of how late I've had a busy day today and I didn't, you know, obviously create this broadcast until later. And I'm right now just sharing to the different groups. I hope that's not affecting our actual, uh, you're, you're kind of lagging too for me. Okay, here I'll just I'll leave it at that right there. Yeah, it's just hard to please. Well, that, that's probably what it was. Was well because of how late I created this uh, broadcast, I didn't get to share it to the groups so that we could actually have more involvements and things like that. So that's what I'm sitting here doing that right now. I shared it to the groups so that individuals can actually, you know, j join in here. Now I did want. 
uh, me and you had discussed the comments that I couldn't see. Uh, last time I did it with Christopher Hoyer, there was only about two people's comments that I could see. Um, and it wasn't, it didn't go down. I would just see one comment come across the screen then another comment come across the screen. Uh, it was just two people. And I think both the people he had known. So yeah, that's, not, uh, that's one of them things too, that I'm trying to, uh, And if you see me looking down, it's because I'm writing some stuff down. You know, attention span, Kayla, so it's not what? that. What? So you know attention span, so it's not that. It's a good you have ADD. <laughs> okay, so now, now, Kayla, so going back to your uh work with the fire department that kind of like led into dispatch so during your time of service with the fire department were there any calls that you responded to was there anything that i'm not going to say traumatized you but i mean it's a every field in first responders is a traumatic experience per se but was, was there anything that, you know, had the biggest impact on you that kind of like led into your role as dispatch? And Well, there, I'll say one thing, like uh, as far as like when I was on the fire department, but prior to being dispatch, uh, the calls didn't really bother me. I hadn't really dealt with a very bad one up until then. When I was working, when I first started working dispatch, we had a uh, city employee who I know really, really well. And she had called and didn't say anything. And I tried calling her back. I recognized her phone number. And in a minute, she's in the parking lot of the police department and her husband is having a medical issue. And... I had to call ambulance, page out the responders, get the officer in. And instead of sitting at my desk, which was what was expected, I panicked down my NCIC. I shut everything down. Uh, I wouldn't say shut down. I pulled it down and secured it where no one else could access my computer. And then I went outside and assisted with CPR. My officer at the time pretty much manned the fort down while I assisted. It was just, it pretty much our roles got switched for a moment because in that moment, I was there. my prior training came out and I was like, no, I'm helping today. And it was it was a it was an hour and a half of us working in the parking lot with his family right in front of us. Was the question ever asked why they drove to the police department and not the hospital? She couldn't make it in time. She felt that he wasn't going to make the car ride. The ambulance wasn't going to get there in time. She drove straight to the police department. And before one of our local judges, he had actually had a heart attack, which he didn't know at the time. He knew something's wrong, but you know, he told told his wife, you know, take me to the ambulance station. 
you know, I need them. Luckily, they were there, and uh, he was having a heart attack. They said if he had waited till he had got to the hospital, which was about a 30-minute drive, that he wouldn't have made it. You know, that's huge. And, you know, and also being versed in so many different fields, like with Kayla, being able to do CPR, you know, serving fire. How, how much how much do you feel your knowledge in these other fields you know plays into the effectiveness of dispatch because you know the civilian sector are so out of tune with how much responsibility a dispatcher has being able to keep the caller calm being able to collect all relevant data so that way whether you're dispatching law enforcement emt fire that you can provide them with all insight all knowledge all you know information provided to you and being cognizant of their environment so that if officer hall was dispatched to a call he has all relevant information all you know subject you know maybe armed things like that so you know how much do you feel that your prior knowledge played into the effectiveness of you know you being dispatched right now so i think pretty bad for me i'm not sure if it's my internet or something else but i think you asked about basically the how i do the job well yeah no i'm saying is how, how much does all the knowledge that you've had from previous experience, knowing CPR, serving as volunteer fire, playing into you being able to properly dispatch and you know provide relevant information to law enforcement, fire, EMT, whoever may be being dispatched to the call? No, I can't. John, can you? I can hear it. Okay. Yeah, she's free. She's freezing out. Her image is even frozen right now. Yeah. So now, so now, John, like, so I'm going to kind of kick this question over to you because it's relevant to you as well, too. That you know, you and I have even had that previous discussion about how relevant it is that a dispatcher is able to obtain, collect, be cognizant of that caller so that they can provide you with that relevant data when you're actually responding to the call. So, I mean, I'm not going to say how relevant because we all know that it's relevant, but what impact does it have on that knowledge that a dispatcher provides you opposed to them just saying, oh, hey, we have a domestic dispute at, you know, 1854 Walnut Street. Yeah, the... The, the more they care, the more information we can get. And what I really like about, you know, Kayla's situation is I'm not going to knock on dispatchers that only have the dispatcher knowledge and say they're not good because that's not the fact. We have some really good ones that have not, you know, had on experience. But it does help when you have had some kind of responder experience because you can visualize, okay, I'm taking this call, but I see it in my head that I'm at this call. What all would I need to do? What all do I need to know? Um, they can relay it to us a little bit better and um, can think of more critical details sometimes because of their experience to let us know. And, it, it, and that's why I wanted to kind of ask that question to Kayla, 
in regard to her previous experience, you know, that plays a large role in being cognizant. You know, it's that educational aspect where, you know, with her having that background in, you know, CPR, having that background in fire, knowing that relevant information that if, you know, her herself having to be dispatched to those or her herself having to provide CPR, her herself having to, you know, respond to fire, provide support and things like that. If it, you know, how much impact does that have on her role now as dispatch being able to actually can you hear it can you hear it Kayla? you have yourself muted Kayla. There you it's go. it's lagging for both of you pretty bad so i'm trying to figure out on my end can you all hear me we can hear you great now okay it just it keeps going black on your end and kind of lagging. Are you on Wi-Fi or direct internet? Uh, yeah, I'm on a computer that's got a LAN cable. Okay. <laughs> so no, I mean, so what I was asking was, with your roles prior, such as you know CPR or volunteer fire, how much do you think that that's benefited you? and being cognizant of knowing, you know, what information to provide to law enforcement, fire, EMT, or anybody that you're dispatching with specific calls. Hmm. Still having problems. Uh, for some reason, guys, it just doesn't seem to... <clears throat> Want to play right? I have a lag every once in a while, but other than that, I can hear everything. We're hearing you, Kayla. Is it just that you can't hear us? Is it cutting in and out, or what's the? Are you able to see the the chat? It's lagging for both of you pretty badly. Mm-hmm. So it's the it's it's John and I's audio that you're not hearing. No, I'm not lagging at all on my end. It's just you two. Well, no, I mean, well, it's if if you're not hearing John and I, it's lagging on your end. It's I'm just trying to figure out. Or, I mean, because because we hear you, it's just I guess you're not hearing us. Is that yeah. what's lagging? Okay. So what I was asking is your previous experience in CPR fire has that played an impact and benefit to you in dispatch being able to be cognizant of how to properly dispatch information needed so that they can actually respond to the call be most effective and efficient when they do respond to the calls yeah i think me being on the fire department for so many years before i went into dispatch really helped out a lot as far as how i look at the calls especially the calls that say medical or something like that I knew what details they absolutely needed and it was it was pretty easy when I first started just because I already knew the 10 codes so it was just learning everything else that you know we have to deal with on the job one, one of the things that 
I always try to stress to individuals is that, and that's why I'm so grateful that you're on this call right now, because, you know, with dispatch, the closure is very minimal for dispatch because it's the, you know, unless you have officer, like, like say you send John to a call, you may be able to get closure on that because, you know, same department and things like that. But, you know, how, how much, and, and you don't necessarily have to call it trauma, but, you know, how much does that affect you when you hear a frantic caller, you know, calling into you for assistance, you dispatch somebody and not having that resolve, whether that life was saved, that life was lost or what had happened. How, I mean, how much effect does that have on, you know, not just you, but I mean, your department, I mean, with you being, you know, assistant head dispatch, you know, how does that play a role on you mentally? For some of the calls that are pretty open-ended, it, it is hard to deal with. You pretty much have to put it on the back here, like the back burner and get through the shift. Um, we've had several calls, especially, you know, there's some that hit really close to home and you have to put all your focus on that and remain calm and get through the call make sure everyone's okay make sure your officer's okay make sure your medics are where they're supposed to be and it's at the end of the shift that it really hits you like when you're on the on the drive home and you're like well that happened and you finally like get a moment to breathe and pretty much think about how the night went have there been any calls like specific, you don't have to go into detail on it, but have you experienced calls to where you never had closure that kind of still dwell with you? Because I mean, like John and I, we've, we've had this conversation numerous times in regard to like, people don't fucking call. I'm sorry about the language, but people aren't calling 911 or calling the police to fucking, Hey, Kayla, how you doing today, baby? It's happy birthday. You know, it's something's going on. I mean, everybody's frantic. So day after day, it, it takes a very, very special soul to be able to tolerate, deal with mentally, physically, and everything with the traumas that you're experiencing every day when all you experience is fucking negativity. And it kind of goes into what John and I had discussions about previously about, you know, these roles, no matter what they are, it can take the, the highest optimist and be, become pessimist. You know, we, we kind of like lose faith in humanity in a sense. But, you know, with you actually having to take these calls of nothing but negative, how does that play on your mindset like every day that you have to go to work? I think we just lost our connection, John. I think so. I think our image is frozen. So, so now, well, with, with that being said, I mean, even with you, John, I mean, so, I mean, cause you know that, I mean, how, how often do you report back to dispatch? Well, Hey, yeah, you know, they, they survived or, you know, things like that. Okay. Okay. Look, Cassie, you're, you're back on here now. So what I was asking you was, you know, how much, so when, because again, you know, people aren't calling because it's a good time. Okay. 
So, you know, how often have you had like that frantic caller that, you know, even if it's still today that you just wonder how that ended up? I mean, have you ever had those ones to where it was like, the, oh, my God, that call was so bad. How did it end up? And just really never had that closure. Have am you experienced back, it? Am I back up? Yeah, you're back. You're back up. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, I think I kind of heard a, a little bit of that about how to deal with pretty much just the calls because no one calls just to say hi to you. It's always panic and something happening. Yeah, I mean, does it does it ever on the the, the really bad frantic calls? I mean, how much does that affect you not having closure, not knowing how that resolve was? Because not every officer is going to report back to you like, oh, hey, Kayla, I just want to let you know that they survived or that, you know, we got the abused spouse or significant other out of the home. Children are safe. You don't you don't get that resolve. No dispatchers really get that resolve. So that has to play. I mean, that, that has to be a traumatic role, especially when people are calling you frantic every every day that you go to work. There is a lot of calls that like they'll come in and it, it is open ended. Like we don't know if they lived and usually it's days before we even hear back about, you know, that call you worked, they didn't make it. And it really does affect you sometimes, especially like in one instance, I worked a call where a, a, a baby was not breathing. And the panic, you know, before the panic set in, I get everyone in route. The officer that I was working with at the time, the ambulance was 45 minutes out. And we have a child turning blue, not breathing. So he loads up two first responders in the back of his car and he takes them by patrol car to the ambulance. The next day, we didn't hear... We didn't hear anything. It was about a week later we heard that the uh, the child didn't make it. For both me and the officer, you know, it was just like a twist in the gut. Like we didn't, we tried so hard to get everyone there, get get the kid to the hospital, make sure he would be okay. And it, it was really, really tense for a while. I think I've been working on that one. I was working on one where it was transported uh, by a police car. And then, so with your training, have do you ever try to walk somebody through CPR, or is that not kind of something that you want to risk? Or, I mean, do you try to do it to the best of your knowledge? Like, you know, that's like not not everybody knows how to perform a trach to where they could just, you know, poke hole, insert pin tube and open airway and all that. I mean, so but I mean, like, you know, common CPR, do you ever is it suggested to try to guide somebody through like with you being licensed? I mean, not, not anybody just wants to say, hey, have you tried to press it in their chest a couple times? But I mean, you know, have I mean, have you tried to guide people through or ask them if they know? I mean. When you call and like, you know, CPR needs to be administered. For my agency, we have to call another agency for an ambulance. 
we have to page out the fire, the police, everything ourselves. We are a small agency. So in a situation where someone calls and I know that you are, the first thing I would do immediately is ask if they know CPR, if they don't. All right. As I have instructions, I have another phone line I'm calling. I'm calling for an ambulance. Um, paging out the officer. While still trying to tell the subject on the phone what to do. And it's really hectic. And a lot of times people, especially new people coming in, when they get hit with that right off the bat, it's a lot to handle. People will panic. They don't know what to do. It's it's almost like a, a two-part step-by-step. You've got to figure out who do I need to page and what order to get the best help. And also, I need to tell these people what to do, how to do it at the same time I'm doing both of these. And, and that's the phenomenal part of it. That's the out of sight, out of mind to a lot of the general public, civilian sector, and everything else like that. Just the, the cognitive awareness that a dispatcher has to have. I mean, you have to maintain composure, keep caller calm, know which agency to dispatch to, communicate to the agency what they, you know, what's going on in that specific case. And, you know, translating back that, hey, they're on their way. And it's, I mean, it's multitasking at a whole different level. You know, people, oh, I can multitask. Can you really? What? Because you, you can type and patch your head at the same time. You know, it's like, it's a whole different level. And I mean, it's, it's again, it's a special individual, special passion that it takes to be able to, I mean, be that cognizant. I mean, the, the focus alone that is required by dispatchers across the nation is above anything. So, I mean, I commend you and every other dispatcher out there. I mean, it really is. It's takes a lot of multitasking. It's, <laughs> you have to have good multitasking skills to dispatch. Uh, Michael, uh, I'm going to go grab something real quick and I'll be right back if that's okay. Uh, your time starts now. I'm just, I'm just of course. <laughs> so, but. <laughs> But no, I mean, Kayla, seriously, I mean, I, I commend you all dispatchers because it's something that it's. So, I mean, you've been in what dispatch five years now. Mm -hmm. And in five years, OK, so in, in just five years, how many calls do you think you've taken? Oh, I, I, I know, right? <laughs> I wouldn't even I wouldn't even know how to ballpark that number because even on slow nights there are gonna be calls. There I I couldn't even I couldn't even tell you. Most of my job revolves around the phones and the radios and my computer. That's my entire job is just making sure you know, keep people calm, get them the help they need, make sure my officer doesn't do anything stupid. And, <laughs> you know, make sure. Make sure my officer don't do anything safe. stupid. And here comes. Oh. <laughs> That's awesome. I'll you know, That was great, man. But, you know, like, and, but that, that's, that's huge, though, because, you know, again, going back to the dispatch, you know, the disconnect point 
you know, it's like, oh, okay, everybody's dispatched and it's like disconnected. And so then it's just like, you don't even have time to process what was going on. And especially on busy times, you know what I mean? Where as, as soon as you dispatch Officer Hall, you know, before you can even process the possibilities of how that call is going to turn out, here comes another call. Frantic. Not wishing you a happy birthday. How you do it? <coughs> Excuse me. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Sorry. But, sorry. Uh, but I mean, it's just that I mean, you're going from one to the other, one to the other, without being able to process any of that. And the same thing, you know, applies to you know Officer Hall, to where it's like, you know, he may be on one call, and before he can even process the trauma that he just experienced, it's being dispatched to another. I, and it, uh, I had the shirt made and I want to show it to you. And as far as dispatch goes, replace the last word with say panic when calls come out like that. <laughs> See, bravery is not the absence of fear, but action is the face of fear, but action in the face of fear. That is, and that is it because and again going back to the composure that every dispatcher has to maintain you know because if i call you and oh my god i got i got two children laying on the floor they're not breathing blah, 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 screaming at you and everything else in between you being able to process the fact that a critical incident is happening right now maintaining your composure to keep them calm being able to keep them calm enough to provide you all relevant data that you're going to provide Officer Hall or any other law enforcement, any other EMT, any other disc fire, anything else. It's that you, you can't, there's no word to place on that. And John, your shirt's perfect for that because that, that is the face of fear. It's like, well, you know, because it's not only the fear of the person calling you, but our own fears because. You know, Kayla, you wouldn't be in the position you're in if you didn't have the passion about, you know, the betterment, the quality of life, saving another individual. So that fear also doesn't even just apply to the individual calling you. It applies to you as well, too. Like, oh, shit, I have to get somebody out there right now. Officer, oh, hey, available. Hey, you know, whoever the case may be, getting them out there. And, and it's, I can't comprehend it. I couldn't do it. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm telling you and the public right now that there is no way in all the different services that I provide could I ever fulfill the role of a dispatch. I couldn't, period. It's And it's not only that. Sometimes it's a lack of <coughs> information. Uh, I mean, uh, Kayla was working a call uh, where they had actually called 911. 911 is a separate agency from us. They have to call us with the information. And I'm not sure what the first part of the, the short conversation was, but they were unsure and said, you know, what do you need? Do you need uh, ambulance? Do you need fire department? Do you need police? All they said was bring everybody. That's all we had. That's all we mm -hmm. got until I had got on scene. I mean, you know, so she's, I'm sure, worried and maybe kind of panic, you know, something may be happening to this person at the same time. I'm sending my officer into this situation and we have no idea what's going on. Well, on top of that, and that's a great point. I'm glad you just said it like that too, because send everybody you got 
is, is that an instance to where SWAT has to be there as well? You know, is it going to be a standoff? Is it, I mean, there, there's so much unknown in there that not only is it a fear of the person calling, not only is it a fear of dispatch, not only is it, it's, you know, law enforcement. If, if officer Hall's the only person that has the opportunity to respond to this call and it's something where, Hey, officer needs assistance. You know, how late is that? You know what I mean? It, it's, it, and it's critical information like that. Like you just said, I mean, it's the being able to maintain composure, gain everything. So, okay, well, okay. Send everybody. Well, what's going on right now? Can you describe how many individuals involved? You know what I mean? It's who, who has that, like mental composure to be able to say, I'm going to remain calm. It's like, okay. Cause, because I mean, cause in a sense, dispatchers are saints for the people calling and who they're dispatching, because if they don't gain that proper information and they send you into a fucking, a trap, you're dead. And any other civilians that may be involved, and that—that's where information becomes so critical. Doors to hey, send everybody. Okay, well, all I have is uh, all I have is Officer Hall here and a maybe a fire, you know. But I mean, it's like, you know, well, what do you mean by send everybody? Why? How many people are involved right now? Do they have weapons? Is it going on? Is there a fire? Is it because there's bombs been going off? There are so many different ifs that need to be asked. And again. You know, be, dispatch being able to keep that composure, ask the right questions, relay that information over to whoever they're dispatching. It, it's critical. I mean, that's a great point, John. I'm glad you just said it like that because it's fucking out of sight, out of mind to any you know civilian sector and individuals viewing this. You know, despite anybody's belief about law enforcement or anything else, which you know. I, I don't want to get into that, but, you know, the moment you do have to call, things like this are important for you to understand that, you know, if you do ever have to call for yourself, for your spouse, significant other, your children, your pets, your your, your house, your properties, you need to know this information to be when you're calling, be ready to provide all relevant information so that dispatch is able to provide you that service in an expedient, effective, and efficient manner. So, Yeah, I, I want to add this, and I want Kayla to add uh, her side of it, but uh, I actually want to go into that call uh, a little later, maybe in another podcast at some point, but when I show up, I hear screaming for help. I go around the side of the house. All I see, the window shattered, and there's a guy right in the window. He's bloodied. He's screaming for help. And you can tell the difference in a, a BS scream, and I seriously think that I'm in danger. Um, so the first thing I tell her is, you know, send back up. Well, guess what? Our radios don't get out. They're, they're horrible where we're at. So I'm trying to call her on my phone at the same time, trying to use the radio, trying to see what's going on with the call. But I finally relayed to her that, you know, send back up. I don't know what's going on. Now I'm dealing with a stressful situation that I'm on, but I'm also focused on this one thing. Now she has to decide who do I call? When do I call? What do I do? You know, whereas I'm, I'm focusing on this one call, she has to multitask to figure out what needs to be done and when to get me help. 
And on that call in particular, like the radio, your radio had booked. So I wasn't able to hear you very well either. So a majority of what I heard was backup. There's this guy, and then I hear screaming in the background. So at that point, it was, I literally called everyone. I didn't know what the situation was. All I knew was that you were at a residence with a male subject screaming and you requested backup. So I called, I called in backup and I got an ambulance in route because I didn't know what was going on. And when you had came back, I had yelled at you later on as a status uh, responder. I just got there. So I was able to talk with him on what you needed because your radio was messed up. You know, and, and, and that is so relevant as well, too, in the minimal funding that a lot of agencies are receiving, you know, especially some of the smaller agencies and things like that, to where it's kind of just like in this broadcast, you know, sometimes like when we're, our communications are lagging because everything's based on perception. So Kayla, you being dispatched, you know, the perception of what that caller is saying to you is all you have to go on for you to make that split decision on who is going to be dispatched. So, you know, having faulty signal, all you're hearing is man in distress, blood everywhere, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, you have to act accordingly, you know, and it's, it's things like that that play a large role in the outcome. You know, let, let's say officer hall was in distress and they had a 1013 to where, you know, it was, Hey, you know, you know, officer needs assistance, you know, officer shot, officer, you know, down, whatever the case may be, but that doesn't go across the radio. I mean, think, think about that for a minute. You know what I mean? Think about the impact that that would play if officer hall was the one that was shot laying there, officer needs assistance, officer down and nobody got that call. I mean, that should never happen. I, I don't. I don't care if you're in the middle of the mountains, some some holler somewhere. I, I don't care what it is. You know, agencies. That 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 is something that really needs to be high tuned. And a lot of times they they don't have that control because of minimal funding, which is fucking ri ridiculous. But you know, it's it, it is those critical factors in again dispatch at at least. You being cognizant, Kayla, of what you were able to hear, you know, better to send the whole cavalry rather than to send just one. And he needed, you know, maybe he needed assistance as well as that guy that was bleeding, <laughs> you know, was that guy that was bleeding from the window? Was he breaking in or out of the house? <laughs> you know, it's there's, there's so many different factors that, you know, become unknown at that matter, you know, well so. And people think, you know, hey, he needs backup. I'm going to call backup. Well, guess what? Who do you call first? You want to call who's going to get there first. How do you know who I need to call and what order I need to call? Them? Because each call, you know, for our, our own officers off duty, for the next city, for the county, they're all individual calls. So they have to decide who do I need to call first to get there the quickest. Hmm. That's a great uh, point. You know, cause it's not like you have a screen in front of you, like Officer Bagby's available. Uh, he'll call him. Hey, hey, can you come help me? Hey, I'm on the other side of town, bro. <laughs> I mean, it's the, 
how, how do you distinguish that? You know, one by the dispatch, you know, it's like, I need assistance. I need it now. Send it, you know, and it's, you know, a lot. Of, and again, John, you and I have had this conversation a hundred times over about the uh, perception that that civilian sector has as far as the why didn't you do this? Why couldn't you respond faster? Why didn't why wasn't more officers you know dispatched to this thing? It's like, well, I was based on what you provided, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, and uh, uh, Kayla, are you there? She's muted. I see her mic's off. Yeah, she's muted right now. Kayla, can you hear us? You're muted. There you go. Um, it's lagging. Uh, you, can you, you hear me? I was playing. <laughs> did uh, Kayla yeah. about me uh, talking about calling back up? Who to call first? Didn't hear half of that. Um. How, how do you decipher who you need to call for backup first as far as agencies? Uh, I think you asked, who do I call for first when backup? Yeah. So as soon as... Do you have as, an availability like, screen? Yeah. So as soon okay. as you call out for backup, the first thing I do is call the next agency over. Because of how our county is... Um, the next city over is 10 minutes away. So they already have an officer in their patrol unit who can get there. And after I call the next agency, I go down the list of our officers that live in the city. And that officer, the next city over is going to get there before the officers that actually live in our city, just because, you know, you're, we only have one officer on shift at a time. Wow. So we go by the next agency over and then our guys that live in the city limits. Now I'll add this. The next city over may be up to 20 minutes away, given if they're on a call or how far out their city actually extends that where they gas up sometimes is as far out as you can go. And their city goes, three times larger than ours does, if not more. Hmm. Now, let me ask you a question because, you know, so the viewers, so where, where Kayla and John's department is, Officer Hall's department is at, they're close to Tennessee, okay? They're like borderline Tennessee. So how does that work if, let's say, Officer Hall calls in because he's in pursuit, and that pursuit, the suspect, the subject is going towards Tennessee line. Does dispatch, do you also have access to surrounding counties outside of state limits? Or how does, how does that work? Or do you have to call state patrol at that point? Or are you able to control that connecting city, that connecting county? So it lagged out again. I'm sorry. But I think you asked about how we work with to see over in Tennessee. Yeah. So what I was saying as far as the, so say Officer Hall was in pursuit and the subject was heading towards Tennessee borderline. With you being dispatched, do you contact 
the state authorities or do you contact the actual uh, city county? So depending on the situation, normally we will, if something happens and we have Tennessee for whatever reason, or we're looking for someone like a bolo or something like that, I would just call the next sheriff's office that is in Tennessee. I would give them the information from there. It would be dispatched out throughout the county. And dispatcher, um, anything that we need sent out to whatever state, we would do that on NCIC. It's the same, you know, the same place where we would run um, you know, individuals. We can also send out a message to the next agency over. So if he was in a pursuit and it went over state line, you would call the next agency, you would call troopers while at the same time um, keeping a track of where your office is, especially with pursuits, the entire time that officer is in pursuit of somebody, he's calling out his location. He's telling me what they're doing you know, if he has any more information, the minute he goes into a pursuit, depending on which direction he's going, that's going to be the next agency I call. If <coughs> it goes over state lines, then the that state's police have to get involved. So I'd have to contact their sheriff's department or the state troopers, and it just goes from there. It's just constantly calling while updating everyone simultaneously of your officer's position and who they're after. Um, and, and real, real quick, with that being said, so if uh, because there are some towns, some cities, some municipalities that I'm not going to say they're not registered with, but no, I'm going to say they're not registered with NCIC. So like like up north, like Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, there are portions within those states that they're not even in the NCIC system. And it's, it's kind of insane when you think about it. So have there ever been any instances or or all surrounding counties that or cities that would be relevant to <coughs> dispatching for a said pursuit would be relevant? You lagged a little bit there, able to hear you, but I can see the questions in the yeah, chat. Yeah, the question. Yeah, so so that that question there was so what what happens Surround if you're not connected to NCIC? Connected to NCIC. Um, just about if you're not connected to NCIC, um, more than likely you have a different agency dispatching for you, which is, we have something similar here in Jackson County. Um. We have an agency that's for a very, very small town. And instead of dispatch, they go through the sheriff's office, which a lot, uh, that's the case for a lot of agencies. They go through someone else to rely on dispatch. Um, basically, it would be on that, whatever agency is for them, it would be on them to relay anything that comes in through NCIC, whether it be a bolo, uh, someone with a warrant, anything like that, it would, it would rely on that agency. And if so, agencies connected with NCIC, like on Bolos, you know, be on the lookout. If 
how how, <clears throat> how long does it take for the public to be aware of a be on the lookout a bolo? How long before you bellow? No, 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 no. How long would it take for the public to also, because, you know, a lot of times the communities can be a lot of assistance for officers or any anything else like that, especially on a bolo, you know, be on the lookout for. So is a bolo ever transcribed over to civilian sector? So that they're aware, you know, outside of like the news or anything else like that, like, oh, well, we were chasing a suspect this morning at 9 a.m. Here we are at 10 p.m. If you see this, you know, please respond. How long does it take for a bolo to become public knowledge? Uh, the minute a situation happens um, and we have to bolo for anything, say um, subject stole a car, unauthorized use. Um, missing persons, anything like that fall under a bolo. The minute we get the call and we realize that we need to let other agencies know, the bolo is immediately typed out. And how it works is we put in all the information, what we're looking for, who to notify, the number to call us at, and then we would send it out to pretty much you can go statewide, you can send it out to certain agencies. It, it there is no you know limit to who can get that bolo you can send it out all over the states wherever you think they're going to no i mean i i no, I, I get that part but i'm saying as far as the public because the public can play a large role in responses to okay okay Did you get that? Okay, hold on. I'll, I'll... <laughs> There's a lot of those, the bolos that never actually make it to the public just because it's a, something minor that, that we alert. need. Yeah. Alert. You have a message from the dark side. Alert. Alert. There's that message from the <laughs> <laughs> People ask me to change my ringtones all the time. I, I got that. I got the I got the Halloween theme music for my ringtone. I got the message from the dark sides, my emails. There's an awakening. Have you felt it as my text messages? People are like, dude, you were just messed up. And you're a positive influence. I'm like, yeah. That's bad. I can't tell which of you it was. It could have been either one. Yeah, man. <laughs> but no, so as, as, as far as like the – because, I mean, I, I know there's a fine line because, you know, a lot of times we don't want to create unnecessary alarm to the public. But in, in a sense to where, you know, something like that, that's, you know, high pursuit, being able to, you know, have live up. And that's what's kind of nice about like Facebook, actually, is that. You know, a lot of law enforcement agencies actually have Facebook pages to where they're letting people know that, hey, this subject just robbed somebody. We're on the lookout for them right now. You know, it's or, or bolos just dispensed amongst the law enforcement communities or are they just like John just said, does it determine on the 
the intensity, I guess, of the incident before it's actually released to the public. Yeah, for minor incidences like Bella, like unauthorized use or something like that, that's probably not public knowledge. Um, what a bolo that would be public knowledge would most likely be like missing persons, endangered persons. We're looking for this person. This is what they're in. Keep an eye out. And it would probably be pretty soon after we got the initial call that that would probably be made public knowledge. And then John, so how, I'm not going to say attentive, but I mean, when, when bolos are issued, does it drop everything you're doing and like kind of assist or again, does it depend on intensity or, you know, it's because, you know, so Sometimes a bolo's happen just because somebody was sitting on a park bench, <laughs> you know what I mean, and, and urinated or something, and you know I'd be able to look out for this, guy, you know what I mean. So it's like, dude, I'm not driving all the way fucking across town to go, you know, watch somebody urinate on a public park bench, you know. But I mean, the determination there as far as the response time, I guess I should say. I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't want to laugh about it, but it, it's a it's comical in a sense to where is the, because sometimes a bolo is just like, because somebody does call in a dispatch. It's like, Hey, there's this guy urinate on a public park bench at a, you know, a bus stop. It's like, Oh, okay. It, uh, it depends on the severity. It also depends on what I'm doing. Uh, if I'm on a traffic stop that I feel the need that I need to search this car or I need to interrogate these uh, drivers and passengers for some reason, I'm not going to draw, you know what I'm doing. So, Hey, you know, go on because obviously I'm, I'm questioning or I'm searching the car for a reason for something minor that that's not that I know for a fact is not going to go anywhere. You know, this happened, be on the lookout for, but basically we're not going to arrest them. You know, we're not really going to do anything to them uh, versus something that, Hey, this person's just committed some kind of, uh, you know, violent crime and assault um, you know, anything from there up, then yeah, if, if what I'm doing is less of a, a priority, then yeah, I'll kind of, you know, look, you know, I, I've done this before. For instance, I stopped the driver and he was, he was driving, I think 90 in a 65, <laughs> um, had stopped him and got his, told him what was going on. You know, he was fine with it. He knew he was caught. I got his license. As soon as I started walking back to the car, I got a call of a wrong way driver on a four lane highway um, right in my vicinity. So that takes priority because I've been on several of those calls and I've seen the outcome of what can be. So I did, I, I turned around, I didn't even make it my car. I come back, I was like, look, here's your break. I got something I gotta do, slow down, don't do it again. And the look on his face was kind of funny. Like you're joking, right? You're gonna just take my license back and rot me anyways, right? But I did, you know, 90 mile an hour. I let him go because I've been on calls before uh, when I was with the sheriff's office. The wrong way driver on the same highway ended up in two fatalities. So that's more of a priority to me. So I was like, look, 
here's your break, go. And I took off, even though that they were probably past me already. Into Tennessee, I still took off and tried to go as far as I could to see if I might could catch them and get them stopped. Uh, I didn't. I'm not sure if they got back on the right side, if Tennessee got them. But, you know, from my own experience, you know, a head-on collision is a little worse than a speeding ticket. So, yeah, I dropped what I had to do to go look for that. You know, and that's actually a huge, huge, huge discussion because you see so many officers that have been reprimanded because they did pursue. It's like, well, I mean, people don't fucking run because they're innocent or they haven't done anything wrong. I mean, they, they, there's, you, you don't flee because it's like, catch me if you can, cop, or I ain't done nothing. It's something's going on. So, I mean, to pursue and they, you know, because like policy procedure states that, you know, if there's like, you know, heavy traffic, if it's a high pedestrian area, you know, just get tagged number and things like that. But how, how do I know that the owner of this vehicle is the one driving this vehicle? How do I know that the owner of this, the driver of this vehicle is not armed? How do I know that this driver of the vehicle doesn't have a kid in the backseat? You know what I mean? I'm pursuing. I, I mean, I'll take repercussions later on. I don't give two shits about what you know what you think it's pursuit needs to be done i mean yeah i mean high high speed pursuits really aren't you know applauded or supported but i mean if if in my mind what i was hired for was the protection and the well in the service of the people within my community and i feel that capturing this subject is for that protection that safety well-being of my community i mean it's you know, as long as everything's within policy, as long as I'm not hanging out my window, fucking, you know, fire, discharging firearm, you know, I mean, it's, I want to catch subject, you know, so. I mean, and you oh, get his tag number, just do this. Do what do you, okay, I've got his tag number, but he's going the wrong way on a four lane highway. What do you expect me to do? Don't, don't chase him because you just said you shouldn't chase people. You know, people don't take that into consideration. Yeah, I've, I've got behind this guy on the wrong way highway. Now he's fed up from 65 to 90. Yeah, I'm. they're going to look at it as I made it more dangerous. But guess what? This guy's going the wrong way on the highway when I don't try to stop him and he hurts how, somebody. How do you how do you how do you make somebody going the wrong way on the highway more dangerous? <laughs> exactly. And, and I'll, I'll tell you this, this guy. This one guy in particular, uh, luckily he didn't hit anybody, but he he told the, the, the other officers, well, they got him inside of a bigger city, which I let them take priority of it. But he said that he was uh, coming from the mall. The mall is 45 minutes away from where he was. The mall closed at 10 o'clock, and this is 2 in the morning. So this is how drunk and out of it he was. But you're wanting me to just get a tag number and go to his house and write him a ticket, you know, later on, hoping that he hasn't killed somebody. There's there's something that you've got to, you know, you got to give. You're like, yeah, I mean, that, that was worth it. Uh, and I've been with a, a department before where their policy, I mean, they could have took a five page or six page policy and said, it's your own ass. Because that's what it said. Don't pursue in this condition don't pursue in this condition otherwise it's your ass that's pretty much what it said how do you translate that into real life <laughs> well, well it, it is the, it's the same thing too with uh 
like narcotics, right? So if if I entice a drug dealer to sell me drugs, right? And there this and for the viewers in the civilian sector, I, I want you to understand I don't want to use the word retardation. You know, I'll get lashed back about that, but the ignorance, okay? If if I am pursuing a known drug dealer, okay, and I get them to serve me the drugs, I provide them the marked bills and everything's within policy on that, how it's, how there's policy and procedure on the way that I have to buy drugs from them. It's the same thing. It really is. It's, it's ignorant. I mean, there's no sense in it to where, you know, if I'm working a case on somebody, I have video, I have audio, I show hand-to-hand distribution, but yet I didn't disclose myself in a manner that they knew. <laughs> I, I mean... Who in the fuck in the right mind if I said, hey, I'm Officer Bagby, can you sell me some fucking heroin? I mean, <laughs> how does that happen? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's and, then, and then if I'm utilizing a if I'm utilizing a CI and that CI doesn't disclose that I didn't toss them, I didn't toss their vehicle, I wasn't within 30 yards of that purchase to where I can actually see everything going down. And did I just take that CI's word for things? It's there's so many policies and procedures that need to be reviewed. Same thing with you know pursuits, and that's the reason why. I mean, because these all go hand in hand on you know what you're supposed to do. If my job as law enforcement, as your job as law enforcement, as her job as dispatch, if our job roles or any of these right here, if our job role is to improve quality of life for the communities in which we serve. As long as we're within policy and guideline, all the questions and, oh, well, you know, you you probably should have. I mean, it's the, I have a videotape of him placing 18 grams of heroin in my hand. And you're telling me that I obtained that 18 grams of heroin unlawfully. How, How the fuck is that even Oh, yeah. And, and an easy way for them to look at this is uh, I'm sure a lot of people have seen uh, the show Bait Car, where they police will place a car, block, running, whatever, get out and leave it. And they wait for somebody to take it. Well, you gave them the opportunity to steal it. No, I parked a car. They chose to steal it. I didn't go up to them and tell them, hey, that car is running. If you will go get it. And, and, you know, bring it to this location. I'll pay you $5,000 for this car. That's that's one thing. I get that. But when you just leave a car and walk out of it, they're taking that upon themselves to do it. But no, you did it this way. That was you got them to steal that car. OK, well, that's fine. So when they go up to your car, when you leave it running outside of a gas station and steal it, don't come to me saying, well, we should have done something. You know, you've got to have this across the board that you think. Hundred percent. I mean, and that's what I'm getting at, you know. And it's like, but it, you know, you, Chris, and I, uh, 
had, had this conversation about when 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 doing that it's like if, if i was hired okay my superiors the department in general had faith that i could perform my duties at the highest standards and you know within policy procedures and things like that it, it comes right back into that same line let me do my job you know what i mean it's if i feel that the benefit of this community the benefit of the public the benefit of the civilian sector is by me pursuing this person that's going the wrong way down the highway it's how, how can you make that situation more dangerous you know it's let me pursue run him off the road and hey there's one less civilian yeah i, I get what you're saying it's people have got to be more understanding of the situations and the severity um we we had an officer actually uh tried to stop a car for going the wrong way on the highway you know what like we just talked about that's a serious offense well in that pursuit if, if i'm not mistaken i think they were actually wanted or suspected of another attempted homicide i believe with uh tennessee and uh hey hold for, hold for one second john kayla hey it was a pleasure uh <laughs> K K Kayla's been telling me, I guess, because like the lagging and everything else, she's going to have to cut it short. But uh, we're going to reschedule this, Kayla, because, I mean, there, there's so much more that we didn't get to cover with you. And, I mean, a lot of the things that you do, I commend you for, a lot of the things that you do need to be, you know, exposed to the public and things like that. I mean, you know, the service that you provide and things like that, it's vital to, you know, all first responders in general and everything else, too. And I appreciate what you do. I appreciate you giving us the time today and everything else. And I know John appreciates you as well. So, you know, stay safe and stay blessed in all things. And thank you so much, Kayla. Well, thank you so much for having me. I apologize for the technical difficulties, but hopefully next time. Oh, you don't have to apologize. Yeah, you know, like I said, but, you know, because you know, the next time I'm, we may just be able to do it on like the Facebook Live to where it's more of a, you know, thing like that. Okay, hon. Bye. Bye, hon. Uh, now I like this while she's on the mind and uh, she doesn't yet. Last time me and you had talked to Christopher Boyer and he kind of uh, read a little bit out of his book. Not a lot because we all wouldn't set up. But, uh, I went out, got me and her both a copy of it. Oh wow, that was quick. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. Did hey and hold on, so look, so I'll I'll, I'll send you one if you need be, but you know because it's you can kind of see the difference a little bit in the thickness. So. Mm -hmm. Because like, so like the, the one that I got initially was the one that day comes training for the fight. Well, then after he wrote the book and everything, Lieutenant Dave Grossman, L Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman actually did a foreword in the book. So it's a little bit for, it has like four more chapters. I think it's four more chapters. Yeah. Four more chapters into the book and things like that too, that he kind of adds a little bit more. Plus he has one coming up, but it's it's phenomenal and it's the same thing that i was saying to you as well too about because i know that you're taking notes and you're writing different things down that you want to kind of discuss and everything else too you know i encourage you i mean because there's no story that wouldn't benefit 
you know, whether it's the cadets going in, making the decision if this really is right for them, the veterans in there, and the superiors, because, you know, in realistically, the superiors are the ones that I really kind of encourage to actually read this because, you know, it is the way that, you know, that leading by example, you know, actually provokes, invokes, or, you know, creates the way of how I perform my duties, you perform your duties, whatever the case may be, you know, so it's relevant to everybody, you know, so it's a great gravy, man. It makes you, if so, if you have a good leader, it makes you want to go out and, and do stuff, want to go out and do your best. When you get criticized about everything you do, you know, why am I going out and busting my ass when I'm going to get criticized about what I've done, even though it's good to get criticized? Not, not even just not even just that, man. You're risking your fucking life. It's, <laughs> and then like you said, like you said during the last discussion, it's like you get sick of the people that say, Oh, well, you signed up for it. It's like that doesn't mean that I should have to get killed or that, you know what I mean? It's well, you know, it's like, you know, well, you signed up to work a dangerous factory job. So when you get sucked into a machine and killed, you signed up for that. What well, doesn't work that way now, does it? Um, and yeah, if, if people see me looking down, it's not that I'm not paying attention, but like you said, I'm taking notes. I took all this just while we've been, uh, you know, on the air talking. So I try to, anything that comes to mind that I think might be interesting or helpful, then I try to write it down while I'm thinking about it so I can relay it later. And that, I'd like to connect you to, uh, you know, Chris and Natalie. So like, if you look at the bottom of that book, you'll see Natalie June Riley. She's actually the editor that actually, you know, because Chris kind of put it down there in, you know, law enforcement jargon. <laughs> you know what I mean? As if he's writing a report and things like that, how he's seen it. But, you know, she made that so relatable to all law enforcement, all first responders, the civilian sector and everything else as well. So, to where yeah. you're doing those notes, John, I mean, it is because, you know, I mean, just, just the discussions that we've had, you know, your insight, your knowledge. You know, I might even gonna say suggestions, but you know, your views on different policies, procedures that could change that would actually increase the quality of the law enforcement officers, first responders themselves, plus the way that we're able to provide services to you know the civilian sector and everything else as well. So yeah, and I like I said, I try to write down whatever I, I can when I think about it so that I will have it down and not. You know, next time we get on here, man, that was something good that I meant to tell you, but I forgot about it because I didn't I didn't bother writing it down. You know, that that also comes back to the, the mental health aspect the depression or anything. You know, it comes down to the memory. You have problems, you know, memorizing stuff. So you do want to put it down as soon as you think about it. So you do have it. You know, and, and that, that's one of the unfortunate aspects that, you know, with. uh you know, with, with Kayla's reception, that is one of the main topics that I kind of wanted to review with her was that just like with you, okay, you know, you drive 45 minutes one way to get to work, 45 minutes home, you're putting in 12, 13, 15 hours, whatever the case may be, that fatigue, you know, you got home life going on, you know, whether it be, you know, family, son, whatever the case may be, and then going from one call to the next, the same thing has to affect her about thinking about that last call she just took and being able to focus on the call she's on now 
I mean, it's a large role that a lot of individuals don't really keep in mind or play mind to, and it's vital, you know, so. It, it is, and, you know, you can think, oh, man, well, they, they had a bad call. Okay, well, that thought's over now. No, I had a bad call, and now I'm thinking about it for the next three days. Depending on the severity, you know, I'm thinking about it when I go lay down to try to sleep. I'm thinking about it when I woke up. It's Once that call is over, it's not necessarily over for me or her or anybody involved. Um, just, just say, for example, your family member has a serious medical condition, serious medical issue. They had to be transported by ambulance and they're in the hospital in a very serious condition. Well, you called the ambulance, right? Well, is this over in your mind now that they got transported, which is what you wanted? No, it's on your mind. You're constantly thinking about what happened and what's going on. And it does kind of trickle down to us sometimes with phones. And that's like when we were talking about before about when you're responding to these calls and you have family there as well, you know, trying to pressurize you on, are they going to be okay? What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? But it's like, yeah, you, you can't give that answer, you know, until it's, I mean, I don't even know how to word it. I mean, it's, no. it's, one of the one of the hardest things, and even if I've been in a situation, I never even did CPR on the guy. Everybody else that was there did. There wasn't a need for me to because every everybody else there had you know their chance to. They just never needed me to jump in or would have. But you know this person's not going to make it. You know it. You know they wasn't going to make it from the time you got on scene, but you try. And one of the hardest things even just being on scene is when the medical personnel, the ambulance, you know, the EMTs call the hospital, call the doctor and they're like, all right, stop CPR. I mean, the family's like, no, no, you're not doing everything you can. I'm like, no, they're not going to make it. No, no, you need to keep working. I'm like, they wasn't going to make it from the time I was here. But just the fact of you're there when they say there is no hope left is a tough thing. And I can't even pretend to imagine that, you know, and it's like, you know, I've told people it's like it, it's it's not like, you know, we're able to have a surgeon come on call along with the EMT. And it, it's there's so many different things that, again, going back to dispatch, you know, I mean, you know, did they provide them the fact and you brought it up, on, you know, two different uh, two broadcasts ago about the. You know, did they have three prior heart attacks? You know, they're having chest pains. You know, did they tell you that, hey, they had three prior heart attacks, they're having chest pains right now? Well, they're probably having a fucking heart attack right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, I mean, it's not a laughing matter, but in the same sense, it's like all of that knowledge being provided over so that you can make the proper decisions, so that you can, you know, bring, you know, the relevant, you know, uh, dispatch to, or, uh, uh, authorities to them and I can, I can sympathize sympathize with both of that you know i know my side you know my profession of it this is what information we need and i don't want to go into a whole lot about it right now because um, i don't have a lot of time left but i do want to touch on i have a five-year-old almost six-year-old that has febrile seizures which means if he gets a fever too quick he can have a seizure um he can have a high, he's had 103 temperature before and he's been fine. But, you know, he jumps up from normal temperature to 100 
really quick, it can throw them into a seizure. I've only been there for two or three of those seizures. He's had, I think it was eight by the time he was five. Um, but when you're on the other side of it, I mean, that emotion's totally different. And I've, I've, even myself, I gave the wrong address because I put my old address together with the, the road that uh, my ex-wife lived on, which is where my kid stays. So I understand that it is, but at the same time, you got to think, you know, hey, they're telling me to calm down, take a breath, you know, settle down, make sure I am given the right information. Um, because I, I do get, I mean, situations like that, I do get you being stressed out and freaked out and just panicked. Um, the first time I was okay. The first time that it happened, I had worked, I had ran downstairs, I got on the phone and they was even commenting, you know, how did you stay so calm? I'm like, well, because I do this job. Well, they was with my son who was 18 months old at the time. Um, this last one, I was by myself. So I find him, I'm trying to get him, bring him in, uh, call help, think about what's going on. The whole time I'm watching him have the seizure and I understand the people, it does get stressful. It, it gets bad. But whenever dispatch does tell, you know, take a breath, you know, try to calm down, give me this information. It makes a huge difference of when you can relay everything you need. Um, and I was able to, but at first they kind of freaked me out, but I did listen to the dispatch. I did do what they said. Then it kind of clicks. Hey, Okay, this is what you need. This is what's happened before. This is what's going on. Um, so I get both sides of it, but the people's really got to listen to the dispatch and what they're saying. They're not when they're asking you to calm down. They're not being inconsiderate and cold-hearted. You know, like uh, quit paying attention to you know somebody you think's dying and listen to me. They're trying to calm you down and get the information they need to save their life if possible. So has Eve. Your, your son, sorry, but, uh, you know, ha, has has he been experiencing the seizures? I'm not going to say since birth. I mean, because you just said 18 months. But, I mean, has that been something that's been ongoing since childhood, like, like infancy, I guess? Um, From 18 months, first time he had one was 18 months old. And his you know some people say seizures okay well people have you know a minute two minute three minute seizures or, or you know they come out of it that time was the first seizure he ever had and it was 20 minutes long Fuck. 20 minutes it was so severe that when he got to the hospital he had to be put on a ventilator for 16 hours to get his oxygen back up to a safe level so you want to say that's that's not a stressful situation you know you don't know what it's like oh i do I do. Um, but I believe it's eight he had by the time he was five. And this last one, um, I want to say maybe four or five, six months ago. And we hoped it was over. They usually grow out of them by five or six and or four or five, six. It had been a year and a half since he had one. And I'll, I'll touch on this and I'll try not to get, you know, too, too into it. But uh, this last one, me and him was playing uh, – in the garage, we have a big garage and we was playing in it. He wanted to go play in the water. So we go into the house. He goes outside. I'm trying to uh, add water to, to a fountain outside. And in reality, it probably wasn't maybe a minute, not even two minutes. But I call for him to help me open the door. Well, he doesn't come. All right, he's five years old. 
you know, he goes off and, and does stuff sometimes. We're far enough away from the road that he knows he can only go so far. I go out, I pour it out, I put it back in the sink. And I'd heard the water turn on on the, the trampoline. There's a sprinkler system. And I was thinking, where's he at? And I look outside and he's laying directly next to the water faucet having a seizure. And it's one of those, you know, I've never seen him start one. If I've ever been there for one, it was already already happening. Somebody else was there with him. And I mean, and I stared for a minute. And I, you know, what is he doing? There's no way he's having another one. But he was. Um, luckily, this one, he came out of it in about two minutes, which he's never done before. His have always been five or ten or longer minute seizures. Um, and they actually gave us something to give him, which is the equivalent of Valium, which is supposed to calm down his brain, bring him out of it. Um, his sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't, and when it didn't, it's bad. Did they ever um, give him gabapentin? It's um, what they give him was diastat. Um, and for a while, he was on a medication daily. But I'm not sure what it really helped because it was more of an epileptic kind of medicine than the febrile. And the febrile only happens when a fever comes on too quick. Right. Um, but, yeah, it's it's pretty rough and it's pretty panicked. So when I tell people, you know, I try not to say I know exactly what you're going through. I try to say I understand. Because when I tell you, I, I, you know, I know what you're going through. No, you don't. This is my situation, not yours. And you are correct. You are 100% correct, but I understand what's going on. I understand the panic. I understand, you know, the, you know, hurry up and get here. But you've got to be open to what we're saying, because if you don't give us the information we need, we may not be able to save you or your family, whereas we might have been able to had we give the, the, the correct information. So, you know, I try to play that into my job, the, the experiences I've had, and translate it over to my job and how I talk to people the uh, same way we've talked about before with uh, depression and mental health. I can get through to somebody better having experience with it than somebody saying the exact same thing that hasn't. It, it just clicks better when they know you, you've actually been through it yourself before. And especially with response time as well, too, you know, I mean, there's a lot, you know, a lot of individuals that haven't really, many people have heard seizures and they may be familiar with how they happen, but, you know, the convulsing, you know, it, it's a traumatic experience watching somebody else have a seizure. I mean, it's, I mean, because there's really nothing you can do for them. I mean, there's, there's, there's no like physical remedy that we as an individual can do for a loved one, a friend, or just a, a stranger we see having a seizure, other than just trying to make sure that they don't bite their tongue and things like that. But I mean, you know, make sure that their head's not smacking off of concrete, you know, and it's, I can't imagine it. I mean, I, I guess I could say I, I understand, but I, I couldn't imagine, you know, just, what, and, and especially a child, you know, I mean, that's like a whole different level. And even they could, you know, and there's a difference in being through something and sympathizing. They could sympathize with, oh, man, you know, this five-year-old has a seizure. You know, there's nothing he can do about it. You know, that's, that's bad. It is, but you're not the one with the memory of, I see my kid having a seizure outside. When I run outside, I see him seizing. His eyes are wide open. 
but nothing's there. I'm staring at him looking out and seeing nothing. That's that's something you can't get out of your head, and that's something that you, you can't understand until you actually see that. You can understand they're having a seizure. There's nothing you can do. But when you, you actually see something like that for yourself, man, it, it's, it changes something in you a little bit because that's something you can never get out of your head. I mean, it's, it's something I want to. I don't want to be able to remember that part of it, but it's when you see those eyes. But yeah, that can be rough. So, with having so, I'm just trying to think how to how to word this. So, with you having your own experience, traumatic events, especially with you know your son. I mean, have you had a response to calls similar that? I mean, how does that play in your mind? I mean, I know you want to do the most for them, but also that's where that understanding plays a large role into what they're going through, What not, not just the family witnessing it, but the actual individual having the seizure and things like that. So, I mean, has that ever came into, you know, your role on, you know, responding to those said calls? I try to as much as I can, you know, I'm not going to say any. There's a lot of officers that can comfort somebody a little bit in those situations. But I try to play into, you know, I'm trying to help as much as I can. You know, my my son, you know, I go to a child having a seizure. Like, like you know, here's my experience. My son's had seizures. We've done this. You know, he's, he's, he's made it. You know, so don't don't panic too much. We're here to do as much as we can. I've been through this myself. And it can kind of calm them a little bit knowing, hey, somebody else has actually been through the same thing I'm going through versus, you know, Hey, you know, don't worry. It's okay. This happens all the time. It doesn't click the same way. Yes, because, I mean, it, it, and it's something like that though, too. You know, that, that seems like a comforting thing to say to someone, but what would happen? I mean, th think about the repercussions. If you would tell them, Oh, it's okay. He'll be okay. And then that individual passed. You know what I mean? I mean, that itself is a trauma on somebody else because now you're to blame because officer, oh, you promised that everything was going to be okay and you said nothing would worry about, blah, blah, blah. It, it, it's, it, it's fucking huge. Man. I mean, it's being, being married um, to a registered nurse, you, you do learn stuff if you listen. And one of the biggest things is don't give false hope. Um, word things however you can to try to give them some hope to try to give them a little comfort, but don't ever give them false hope. You know, they're going to be okay. I know they are. No, I don't. I'm not, you know, the doctor, I'm not the one that, that's controlling this situation. I can't tell you, yeah, they're going to be okay. Now, if you stub a toe, you break a toe, they're going to be fine. But when I don't know, I'm not going to tell them that because that's going to leave a lasting impression. The officer said he was, they were going to be fine, but you know, they wasn't. That's what they're going to think every time they see me. And it's going to bring up those emotions of that call, how I felt, what was going on. And I want to be viewed as even if I couldn't, couldn't help change the situation, I was there to help. I wasn't there BSing them. Right. You know, and it's, and it, and it kind of goes back into, you know, like we were talking about with Kayla, with like, with dispatch, 
you know, being able to be cognizant that, hey, I, I may not know the exact situation, but hey, I can understand that this is a frantic moment for you. Let's, let's kind of draw this back. How many seizures have they had before? Is this the first episode? Because there's so many different relevant information that plays into whether they're going to be okay or not. You know what I mean? Because it's the, if this is something like, like, like with you, for example, you know, you're stating your son from like 18 months, you know, on, at least you know that, Hey, this kind of happens. And I can't even, I, I can't even imagine what a 20 minute seizure would fucking play in a mental role. But, you know, with dispatch, you know, being able to know again, asking those questions. Is this the first time this has happened? Have they had previous seizures? Is it enough? You know, and, and that's another thing that general public doesn't understand is there are so many different types of seizures, just like with any other, you know, anything like with freaking autism. There's so many different degrees of autism. Seizures are the same way. You have the epileptics where it's, you know, caused by strobe lights, you know, flashing lights or just swift changes. The ones like you, you know, when he's just getting heightened fevers out of nowhere, it's there's so many different things. So, you know, that relevant data and as much information as one person knows about, you know, the health, well being of their, you know, whether it be their child, sibling, significant other, friend, or whatever the case may be, you know, that you're going to be able to provide the best service you can. And then you call for, you know, respective, uh, you know, first responder assistance as well, too. So, yeah, and, and it makes a big difference, you know, hey, you know, my whatever is having a seizure, but, you know, had a seizure before, how scary they've been. Well, you know, he's had several seizures before, and they've, you know, been minor, they've been a few minutes long, versus, you know, my child, you know, yeah, before, and they've been 10 minutes long, different in how I need to respond, how I need to prepare. So that, hey, you know, yeah, they've had a bunch of seizures and they're only like a minute long. You know, yeah, they need an ambulance and a transfer. But the the urgency is different. Yeah, they've had three seizures, but they've been 20 minute long. You know, and I know for a fact you can stop breathing. And when you stop breathing for minutes at a time, that can make a huge difference that, you know, yeah, I, I need to get there quick because they may stop. They have stopped breathing before, you know, and somebody needs to be there to try to, you know, alleviate as much as they can before the ambulance gets there. And nearly all times, unless we as a small department are tied up on a call, the ambulance can Well, on, on top of that as well, too, you know, the swallowing of the tongue. You know what I mean? If they're like just choking and everything else, you know, it's the ways of depressant, you know, so many different preventative measures, which, you know, you know, I, I, I encourage any family members and things like that to be able to know, you know, the different types of remedies that they can do in that instance, especially when it's an ongoing instance, you know? Yeah. You, you need to be aware of situations that, you know, happened before and try to mentally prepare if this happens, what do I need to do? You know, what, what do I need to tell them? Uh, what information do I need? And if you can prepare beforehand, which I didn't because I've, I've never been there other than one or two seizures when somebody else was there. That's my fault. You know, that's my mess up. 
but if you can prepare, if this happens again, this is my train of thought. I need to give them this information, this information. It's going to make everything a smoother, you know, process. You know, if you if it's something you can prepare for ahead of time. Um, and I learned from that. You know, I, I realized how unprepared I was. But uh, it uh, I'm about out of time here. Uh, so if you've got anything that's that you want to, you know, kind of cover. No, I was just kind of going over all that and everything else, too. And, you know, I appreciate you sharing that, especially. I mean, you don't have to share the personal things that you share, but it brings that real life into the things that we discuss so that other individuals are able to kind of, as you just said, understand, you know, when, when somebody's, you know, again, kind of going back to PTSI, PTSD, mental health, you know, a lot of us get stuck in, you know, the situations that we're, that we're stuck in because we feel alone. We feel nobody else understands. We feel that nobody else will be able to get us or that anybody else can help, you know, and it's the, it, I'm not going to say it creates a fear to ask, but it's, it's that blindness that we all have. So. Yeah. They don't, they don't understand that. Hey, I've been through these situations too. That Hey, he does know a little bit. He does sympathize and understand. Versus, you know, that's just a badge that showed up waiting for the ambulance to get here. You know, that, that comes back to the, we, we are real people. We've had our own, you know, occurrences and issues and incidents in our own life that we can kind of, you know, understand and sympathize and maybe even help them understand certain things that they don't know about these situations that we've been through. Yes, sir. hundred percent. And, and again, that's the, the smashing the stigma, that's what's making them aware. That's why I love doing this right here, you know, because, you know, the civilian sector, general public, you know, outside of the media and the false pretenses and everything else that's, you know, being fed to them, you know, we need to humanize this and let people know that, you know, you have, you're a human being as well too. You have family as well. Certain things affect you. I mean, the responses to the calls that you do affect you. You know what I mean? It, it, it becomes personal in a sense to where, you know, it's, you know, law enforcement don't hate civilians. <laughs> law enforcement don't hate criminals. You know, we we want to help the criminals. You know, it's the what what wrong in your life that caused you to do this? You know, and it's having that conversation where, you know, if you're always going to be non-compliant or restrictive on why I'm addressing you, of course, there's going to be a fucking issue. Of course, it's going to escalate. You know, so it's just, you know, the understanding aspect of it and knowing that, you know, we each have lives and there's always going to be an underlining cause of why a criminal does a criminal act. And there's always going to be an underlining cause why, you know, we as officers may respond a certain way, you know, so. And there you really got to take take hold of the good in the job. Um where we live, we are part of the Trail of Tears, which, you know, I'm sure most people don't un understand. You know, it's it's an old Indian tradition, but um, it's nowadays it's a motorcycle rally to kind of honor, you know, what had happened, you know, a long time ago. But I was working in security and I had a guy come up to me and I was like, hey, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm good. If you don't recognize me, do you? 
no, I don't. He told me who he was. I was like, oh, I was like, man, how are you doing? He's like, man, I'm great. You know, he was a, uh, I believe it was meth was his drug of choice. And he had gained probably, uh, you know, if you're watching this, no offense, but probably 100 pounds. I mean, he was small. And uh, he told me, you know, man, I've, I've got off of it. I've, I've got into counseling. You know, I'm doing this, doing that. And that was a couple of years ago. And now he leads a support group. He is a counselor on those kind of issues. And I'm like, that's great. You know, that's awesome. And I had a guy I knew from uh, back when I was probably 20, early 20s. Um, he come into the PD. He's like, you know, here, here's your community center key. I was like, Oh, man, he's like, hey, man, how you doing? It's like, good. I was like, what are you doing? I would just come from the meeting. He had got arrested not long after the last time I had dealt with him, and I forget how long it was. It was over a year, maybe, maybe more, that he had been clean, and he was going to the same meetings to the same guy that I had dealt with before on the, the other side of the law. And, I mean, that's just – that's great. That's amazing that you see people like that. That's completely turned things around because a lot of times people you'll arrest them and they, they may turn their lives around, but you never see them again. You never know of it. So it, it's really good that you can actually be aware of, uh, like you were saying, you know, the closure. You yeah, get some I mean, and, and it, Well, it also goes into like what, you know, I, I say time and time again about how a lot of times that, you know, we can go into this profession you know, completely optimistic, thinking we're bettering individuals, just seeing the negative day in and day out, turning someone pessimistic to where, you know, we can find that balance when we see that the lives that, you know, we affected was for the better. Because a lot of times that that time out that somebody has to go sit, I mean, you know, I, I don't wish jail time on anybody. But I mean, if that's what you have coming to you, that's what you have coming to you. So at least make it a benefit for yourself to sit there and do a self-reflection, you know, and again, like as you know, you've done multiple times, you know, having that conversation with the subject on the way to the station that could ultimately completely turn the life around because the last conversation that they're going to have prior to be, you know, putting into the drunk tank or into their cell is, you know, what you discussed with them on the way down. And if it was all negative or if it was just quiet, it's, you know, Oh my God, I got, I got arrested again. It's like, well, <laughs> Don't do what you did. Yeah, and what they don't realize, <coughs> I'm gonna say some people deserve it. Some people, the way they act, I don't, I don't care to deal with them. I don't care to try to help them. I hate to say that, but people earn certain things with the way they treat us. But that person's first arrest with whatever issues they have, depending on the contact they have with that law enforcement officer can change their entire life, not just change it around, but their entire thought process of law enforcement, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, oh, that, that officer, man, he was a, he was a jerk. He was a dickhead. You know, I hate cops. They're all like that. They don't give a shit. They're just assholes. When that, no, that's not true. That's the one person in our department that acts like that. And nobody else does, but that's what sticks in their head. You know, even if you can try to talk to them, like, no, I don't I want to talk to you. I've already made my mind up about police officers. Yeah, it's just, and, and I, you know, I, I go on for days about this. I wrote papers on this in regard to, you know, taking one and applying it to the whole, you know, when it's like, 
and it and it's on the other side as well too like you know these individuals that said they want to make a difference will be the example you know i mean if, if you feed into the same negatives that everybody else is judging one group as and you're solidifying it by the actions you're doing fucking it's, it's just going to be that repetitive circle and it's just going to keep recycling and recycling and recycling to where there's no progression you know so i mean that's vital i mean it's and that's why like you know having conversations like this humanizing you you know you're you know, have real life too. All you're doing is just trying to, to, to serve and you know address certain things and provide them the opportunity to think twice. <laughs> yeah, if you're if you're a miserable officer, if you hate your job, you do something else. Take a vacation, take a break, go to another you know agency, go to another career. Because by you not giving a shit and you treating people badly, that's affecting everyone else in this field that is trying to treat people right, that is trying to help people. You're not just, you know, affecting the way people view you. You're affecting the way people view that badge, no matter what that badge looks like. Well, not only that, if you and I respond to a call and, you know, I have so much shit going on in my mind, I'm just negative. We could have taken a situation that otherwise would have been resolved with no incident. And because of my attitude, now both of our lives are in danger because now they feel a threat because whether the tone of my voice or the way that I'm carrying myself and not. And, you know, because another thing, too, that's a whole different discussion is the fact of culture. You know what I mean? Different individuals, cultures play into the way that you present yourself. You know, so if I'm coming in there and I'm brash, I'm just, you know, talking to them like they like they have no sense of automatically having that guilty before proven guilty mentality. Meanwhile, you're trying to, you know, keep them calm. Your demeanor and your calmness is completely disregarded because of the asshole that I am. So, you know, it, it always plays into that as well, too. So, yeah. And the reason I'm smiling is I don't think that that whole thing is, you know, like lighthearted or a joke but any officer unless they're the ones i'm talking about any officer can sympathize with this there are those people be like you know a fight call hey um like small agency who's working uh at the next be over and they'll tell me my the the way they treat people my response is never mind i'll handle it i mean they could go to a you know, a call of a report of a stolen purse, and then the way they do it, the next thing you know, you're in a fight. You're like, this was a report. What the hell happened? <laughs> but I've, I've been to situations before where it was a, a chaotic situation, but I had it handled by the time they got there. And then when they got there, all hell broke loose again. I'm like, how do you even do this? Is this a talent or something you work on? Or what is it? But, you know, the same person can handle a situation completely different, have a completely different outcome than another one can. And oh, some eighty percent of your calls ending up in tasers, batons, or <laughs> yeah, you know, like how do you even do this? Like, I don't, it's it's almost impressive to a sad fact. I think. Yes, sir. Already but uh, before before I do get off here, I do. I kind of want to change the pace a little bit and give a, a funny story. <laughs> and this is, it's an embarrassing story to me, but it's more embarrassing to the guy I was working with. <laughs> um, 
Not the only on spot or anything. <laughs> the only reason I carry uh, pepper spray is for animals. Um, unless it's a oh shit, I have to situation. I don't use it for for suspects. I use it for animals for that you know last try not to have to shoot one. But we uh, he stopped a car for a DUI that was involved in an altercation, arrested the guy, and ended up having to pepper spray him. You know, got him in handcuffs, got him in the back of the car. Well, he was just beating the hell out of the inside of the car. So when he opens up the door, this dude takes off running. I run, tackle him. And when I do, I tackle him from behind and I get him in a, I don't know what you want, not a choke hole, but I got him around the neck. And when I tackled him, my arm went around his face to get to his neck. Pepper spray all over my arm and hand. It's not that bad. It irritates you, but it's not that bad. So get him back in the car. He takes him to the jail. I sit and wait for the guy to, uh, the passenger, to get a ride, to tow the car. So I get back to the police department. So does the other officer. And I don't deal with pepper spray. I have it for animals. I wash my hands. Knowing all these stories I've been heard, you know, been told, I wash my hands. Hey, I'm good. I've got it off. I go to the bathroom to pee. That pepper spray did not wash off. It lit me on fire. <laughs> when I went to pee. And worse is I end up balled up, and Kayla was working, I believe. I end up balled up in the corner for about 30 minutes in pain. Because of this, and what's worse is the guy I was working with goes to the bathroom and does the exact same thing. Like, did you not learn? But what's worse with him is I had kind of calmed down from the incident about the time we got assistance called to the next city over, so we both had to head out and go assist the next city. Well, he hadn't done it long before that, so he shows up to try to assist the city with a wad of wet paper towels down the front of his pants. <laughs> So the whole time we're doing it, a wad of paper towel in his pants. And it's I just couldn't help but to find the humor in that. I'm like, that's just that's not an experience that you want to go through again, but you gotta find the humor in it. Well, there's actually like a salve cloth that you know a lot of agencies aren't even provided it, but there's a salve cloth that actually, you know, dilutes everything else because there was there's actually been like lawsuits because you know, after administering pepper spray, it was never like washed off of a, a subject and like, you know, it burns, there's, it, it, it can permanently burn your skin, cause eczema, psoriasis, and all that other little good stuff and things like that. So it's actually like a little, almost like a wet nap. You can kind of peel out it, you, you wash it off. It has like to solve him and stuff like that. I don't, I don't know the chemicals in it, whatever the case is, that renders the pepper spray like not so, hey, I'm going to be curled up. <laughs> That'll take me a pass, you know, but so. Yeah. And the bad part is ask anybody that's ever been certified with pepper spray. Once, once this calms down, okay, I'm getting better finally after it seems like forever. Now I'm going home and taking a shower. Well, when this gets better, your pores close. Well, when your pores close, it keeps it inside. So when you take that hot shower, it opens up and all that runs out and runs straight down your body. And everywhere it goes, just reignites. Yes, sir. It's almost like with insulation, insulation is the same way. 
to where you know you take hot showers and think it opens it up and it spreads it and things like that. And it's just like, uh, yeah, you think the worst is over. <laughs> uh, that's great, man. But uh, like I said, I'm about out of time. But I, you know, I've, I've got plenty more to talk about, plenty more stories that uh, I want to go over. So we'll definitely get back again. And uh, yeah. let, let me know. I mean, because. You know, and my apologies about the delay on actually scheduling this so that I can actually, you know, share it the way that I did, you know, so, but, uh, yeah, just, just let me know and I'll get it scheduled ASAP, man, because, I mean, I'd like to have you on here. I actually want to kind of bring you back on when I have Chris on again as well, too. I really would like to have, because I'm, I'm trying to get Adam Davis, Michael Segru, Chris Hoyer, yourself, and everybody on one of these calls together so that we can all sit here and collaborate together and just, you know, talk about ways that we can improve each other's departments, improve like civilian sector, improve the actual knowledge and, you know, what really goes on, the truth behind like law enforcement and, you know, the, the betterment that we're trying to provide the quality of life for, you know, civilians and things. So. Yeah. I think it's great to have multiple people on because it does kind of click when somebody says something. Oh, yeah, this was something I didn't think about. But now you brought it up. Yeah, I, I want to talk about this. I want to get my insight on it versus me and you talking and not hitting that button of what it is that I did want to cover. But it's just at the back of my mind. I'm not thinking about it. So, I mean, I love that. Uh, yeah. And I was actually about to say I'd love to be back on with a, a Christopher Hoyer again. You know, I enjoyed that. I wish I could have stayed longer on that one. Yeah, this, uh, I'll send emails out too. That way we can kind of get the times together rather than just trying to schedule one. And like last minute, I'll send emails out to everybody else and everybody can just kind of respond to the emails and we can all just set this time up together. That way we can actually have one. That way we have time also to kind of invite the public on as well too because I love the comments and things like that because they can address certain concerns or they can share their real life experiences of why you know, they feel a certain way about law enforcement or any questions they have about law enforcement or any other first responders, military and things like that as well, too. You know, Troy Root, it's all like that. They've been on well with us as well, too. So, oh, yeah. You know, and even if I'm not getting them, you can get the comments. I mean, I'm all for having almost like a, a Q&A session sometimes. If they've got questions, you know, they can, even if I don't see it, you can relay to them and then I can try to cover whatever they have because I think that would be good with the public. Um, <laughs> About certain things and not knowing, and that's how I'll set the next one up. I'll, I'll create like a poll and a Q and A that is actually like that creates the conversations we're having and having the uh, the interactive. So I'll create that one on the next one. So I mean, it's always a pleasure, John. And I look forward to the next one. And uh, just let me know, you know, your schedule. I'll let you know my schedule and things like that. That way we can make this happen. Look forward to an email because I'm going to email and copy everybody on because I feel it, you know, because I'd like to bring Chris Gregorio back on. He's been on a couple as well, too. I'd like you to kind of meet him. You know, he's upper northwest, you know, active law enforcement and everything else, too. So, but uh, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Stay safe. Stay blessed in all things, brother. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll see you later, bud. Yes, sir. Bye.